I went through a period in my life when I was younger, uh, about six month, eight month period when I was very, very, uh, went through a very serious period of doubt and doubting whether the scripture was true, doubting whether heaven existed, doubting whether Jesus was God, all those kinds of things. I had grown up in a Christian home. My mother and my father were wonderful people who taught me the love of the Lord. But when I, I became uh, about 20, there was an incident that happened. And because of the problem of evil, I, I began to doubt. And people used to come to me who knew about it. I didn't tell many people, but those who knew, knew about it would come to me and say, hey, have you heard about this? They may have discovered Noah's Ark, thinking that that would help my doubt in some way. Or they, you know, they've discovered this, or they just found out this, or did you hear this urban legend that proves the Bible's true? And I came to realize that all those things really don't mean anything. That even if Noah's Ark were found, it doesn't mean that Christianity is true. And that even if they did find the bone box of James, the brother of Jesus, it doesn't mean that Christianity is true. But... There is one thing, I think, that if it's true, all of Christianity rises or falls on it. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the reason that I believe that heaven is real, is because Jesus Christ has promised that to us. And so today I want to read for us a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, and very quickly give you three reasons that this passage tells us about how we know that heaven is real. In 1 Corinthians 15, one of the, one of the earliest books of the Bible is 1 Corinthians, if not the earliest. And so 1 Corinthians 15 is the earliest passage of scripture that we have about the resurrection. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. He says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 others at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul here, in this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, tells us that if the resurrection is not true, then all of our hopes about a resurrection body and a heaven where we go to spend our lives eternally with God, then that's not true. But... If the resurrection is true, 
If it's true that Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, then we all can depend upon this heaven that has been promised to us. So what does Paul tell us are our reasons for understanding that the resurrection is true and thus we really can believe in heaven? Three quick reasons. First of all, we can believe in heaven because of God's word. You'll notice at the very beginning of this passage in verse 3, Paul says, I delivered to you that which I also received. Paul is telling us here that he didn't just make this up, that this is a, a, a very early creed that was passed along by the early church. One of the arguments used against the resurrection by skeptics often is that it wasn't written about until 50 years later. But, which is not true. First Corinthians was written in about 50 to 55. So that's Jesus died in about 30 AD. Some would say 33 AD. We don't know the exact date, but somewhere between 30 and 33 AD. Jesus died. That means that Paul wrote First Corinthians 20 years later. So it's really not that long. But the thing to realize is that Paul is saying to us here, long before I was writing this letter to you Corinthian people, There was a creed that was passed along orally. People spoke it. Because you have to realize that lots and lots of people at the time of Jesus were illiterate. They just couldn't read. And so a great deal of what was passed along was passed along orally by memory. And you know, if you look carefully at Jesus' teaching, that they are, in many ways, they are easy to remember. Either they're stories or they are short statements that make it easy to remember. And so God's Word very carefully tells us that the the facts about the resurrection were not made up 20 years later. That's not what happened. That probably uh, New Testament scholar James Dunn, who was not an evangelical, says it was probably months, only months after the resurrection that these creeds began to be passed along. And so we realize that the scripture very carefully tells us here, Paul is saying, I received this from the apostles. God's word is telling us that there is a heaven and we can trust that. My father was a minister and a Baptist minister and he used to take me to funerals with him when I was real small. I mean, I went to a lot of funerals. Um, my dad, whenever we'd go on vacation, he would take us to graveyards. That was like, he convinced us that that was a real nice place to go. Either graveyards or used bookstores. Those were the two places we went when we were kids. But I remember from a very young age, my dad at, at funerals, reading this passage that Paul wrote from 1 Thessalonians 4, and the Thessalonian people were worried about the fact that Jesus hadn't come back. And Paul says to them, listen, I know that people die, and I know that you are sorry because people die, but you must not sorrow like other people who have no hope. Paul is explaining to the Thessalonian people, certainly there are going to be people who die, and you're going to miss them. And there's nothing wrong with being sorrowful about that. But 
You don't sorrow like the other people because you have hope, an ultimate and total and complete hope of heaven. In 1 Peter, Peter tells those people who are suffering under persecution, he tells them, listen, you have great hope. The very first chapter of 1 Peter, he says, you have great hope because of the resurrection. What is that hope? It's the hope of heaven that God has promised to us through his word. That's the first reason I believe in heaven. But there's a second reason. I believe in heaven not only because of God's word, but I also believe in heaven because of Christ's work. If death, if the death and resurrection of Christ are true, then heaven is true. And you don't get that from any other argument. You don't get there from finding Noah's Ark. You don't get there from finding the boom box that might have been James, the brother of Jesus. You don't get to that any other way. It's only the resurrection. The resurrection is the bedrock of Christianity. If it's true, then we can trust what the scripture says. If it's not true, then we can't. And so we look today and see what is it that Paul tells us about this resurrection. He tells us in the second part of the third verse and the fourth verse, here are the reasons that I know that the resurrection are true, is true. He says, Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Jesus died by crucifixion. Almost no New Testament scholar in the world will deny that Jesus died by crucifixion. Almost none of them. There's an amazing thing that happens in New Testament scholarship, and it's that even even the most radical, liberal New Testament critics will say, yes, something happened after Jesus died. I don't know what it was. I can't imagine what it was, but something happened. Even the most critical New Testament scholars will realize that that the disciples had this drastic change in their worldview. And they had that drastic change in their worldview because they believed that they had seen Jesus Christ. They believed that this person Christ, whom they were not expecting to be resurrected, you have to remember that. When Jesus died, they said to themselves, something's gone wrong here. Because in the first century, a crucified Messiah was a failed Messiah. And so when Jesus was crucified, the apostles went back to what they were doing. Peter went back to fishing. They went back to what they were doing because they said to themselves, we were mistaken. He wasn't, he wasn't the Messiah. And you, you, it's hard for us to imagine that these, these disciples of Jesus, they had put everything into believing that Jesus was the Messiah. They had left their jobs. They had left their families. They had put everything into believing that this was the Messiah. And then when he's taken away and crucified, they say to themselves, we are a total failure. And then, shockingly, they can't believe it, but shockingly, Jesus comes back and he says to them, How many times did I have to tell you? I told you and I told you and I told you that I was going to be coming back. Why didn't you listen to me? And I can say to you today that I believe there is no fact of ancient history that is so well attested as the resurrection. And I don't say that just shooting from the hip. I say that after 
lots and lots of study of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and study of other resurrection stories. And the truth of the matter is that if you want to deny the resurrection of Christ, then you must turn into a, almost a total historical agnostic. Because if you can't believe that, then you honestly can't believe anything else that we know about ancient history. We know that heaven exists because Christ promised us in my father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you there that where I am, there you may be also. You remember those lines from the gospel of John and Jesus Christ proved that what he was saying was true by the fact of his resurrection. Yet there's a third reason that I believe in heaven. It's not just because of God's word and it's not just because of Christ's work, but it's thirdly because of our witness. You'll notice in verses seven and eight that the apostle Paul mentions a variety of people. This is an early Aramaic creed. That's the reason that in many of your translations, uh, it will say Cephas instead of Simon or instead of Simon Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic name And so, this is very early. Aramaic was the language that was spoken frequently by the, at the time of Jesus. Well, what happened? Remember that this man who's writing this letter is not a person who grew up in a home where people were saying to him, Jesus is the Messiah. This is a man who grew up, had the best training that Judaism could give him, And yet, in spite of all of that, he somehow has come to believe that Jesus is God. And you have to realize what a shocking thing that is. That the Apostle Paul used to be named Saul. He grew up as a Jewish boy saying every morning and every night, the Lord our God is one God. And yet somehow, for some reason, He now believes that Jesus Christ is God and that the Father is God. He somehow has this idea of a Trinitarian God. He somehow has come to believe that Jesus really is God. And the only reason that we can ever, ever find for Paul changing his life in such a drastic way is that Jesus Christ appeared to him. That's what he says there. He says in verse 8, last of all to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. He mentions in the verse earlier, James, the story of James is the brother of Jesus, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't think that Jesus really was whom he claimed to be. And he went on through his life not following after Jesus, not being one of his disciples. And then... From what we can learn from early church history, James saw the resurrected Lord and his life was changed forever. James went from a person following after Judaism and saying, the Lord our God is one. There is no other God. It's impossible for my brother to be God. It's impossible for this person who calls himself the Christ to be God. It just can't happen. Out of nowhere, he changed And not only did he change, but he went to his death because of the fact that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. 
You have to remember that Paul and James didn't just go along saying, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, no problem, let's all get along. Paul had his head chopped off for no other reason that he kept preaching that Jesus was God, Jesus was the Messiah. James was taken up to the very top of the temple very top of the temple, he was thrown off of the temple, and even though he'd been thrown down all that way, he was asked at the top of the temple, either deny that Jesus is God or we're throwing you off. They threw him off, and even though he fell all that way, he didn't die, and he was clubbed to death. That's not the belief of a person who thinks, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. That is the belief of a person who knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and that as a result of that, our resurrection is true and our heaven is true. If you want to believe in heaven, all that you must do is carefully consider the resurrection. And if the resurrection is true, then heaven is true, no doubt. I suppose that all of us can think of people whose lives have been changed by the resurrection. We can think of St. Augustine or St. Augustine, if you will. I was at another church doing a children's sermon one time, and I I said to all the kids, have you guys ever heard of St. Augustine? And one kid raised his hand and said, heard of it? I've been there. (laughs) But even before there was a city of St. Augustine, there was a person, St. Augustine. A person, St. Augustine, who had rebelled against the Christianity of his mother, who had done everything he could to fight against it. And yet one day, through this supernatural occurrence, he came to know the resurrected Lord was the real Lord and that the heaven that he promised us really was true. You can all think of someone like that. We all, you see, we all desire heaven underneath all the diets, which is really a desire for new bodies, and underneath all of the makeup, which is really a desire for new skin, and underneath all of the wigs and hair transplants, which you know, uh, underneath all the materialism of saying if we can just buy enough new things, then we'll be happy. Underneath the desire for the new, If you look in your heart and you look at it for what it is, it's a hunger for another world. And that other world is the one that was promised to us by the resurrected God. We all desire heaven. And we desire the kind of fellowship that we have here on a perfected level. And we all know someone who has had their life changed, like Augustine or James or Paul, we all know someone who has had their life changed, and we probably know someone who has helped to change our life. For me, it was my mother. I was born later in my parents' life. My mother was 40 and my father was 50 when I was born, which probably accounts for some of my dementia. And I just figured out a a few, about a year ago, that my birthday is exactly nine months from Valentine's Day. So I'm pretty sure they weren't 
planning to have a little boy when they were 40 and 50 years old. But I remember my mother, my mother and father were wonderful Christian people. And when I was about 22 or 23, my mother got very sick and we thought it was the flu or something like that. She just didn't get better. We took her to the doctor. She didn't get better. Finally, we took her to the hospital. And I remember the the doctor calling my brother and my sisters together around this big wooden table in a, in a meeting room and saying to us, your mother's not going to live more than another five or six days. It was a shocking situation. You know, at, at 22 or 23, those are not the kind of problems that you're supposed to have to deal with. And since I was the minister, my brother and my sisters all looked to me to kind of hold things together and tell them what they should do. They'd never listened to me before. I don't know why they decided to then, but they did. And as we went in and kept visiting my mother, she got progressively weaker and weaker. And it was clear that despite our prayers, she was not going to recover. And I remember walking in that that day before she went to be with the Lord. I remember walking in into this room where what she had was uh, communicable, so we all had to wear masks and these, these, you know, robes and all kinds of things like that. And, and I walked in there, and I just was overwhelmed with sorrow and sadness. I was only, I was a kid. You're not supposed to have to say goodbye to your mother when you're that young. That's not the way that things are supposed to be. And I remember just being, being totally overwhelmed and just weeping. And I remember my mother looking at me and saying, Oh, Sam, stop it. You just trust the Lord and everything will be all right. That was the last thing she ever said to me. That's the way that I want to die. Trusting the Lord and believing that everything will be all right. The only reason that we have any hope that everything will be all right is because of the heaven that is promised to us by the resurrected Lord. That's why I believe in heaven. D.L. Moody famous, famous evangelist who spoke to more people than any other person of his lifetime. He once said, someday you'll read in the paper that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. For I will be more alive then than I have ever been here on earth. We believe in heaven. Because we have a Savior 
who died, was buried, and resurrected. And if the Lord tarries someday, you'll read in the paper that I've died. Someday I'll read in the paper that you've died. But I won't believe it. Because we will be more alive then than we have ever, ever been. So I leave you today with the reminder that heaven is real, that God promised it in His Word, that Christ purchased it for us with His work, and that we have wonderful witnesses to it. Today, I'll leave you with two words. Be there. And I'll see you then.